Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Unknown History, a podcast filled with quirky tales from the past. This week we have a special guest, Andrew Lowney, author of Stalin's Englishman, Guy Burgess, The Cold War and The Cambridge Spy Ring. Who exactly was Guy Burgess and how did he become one of the Cambridge spies? Well, Guy Burgess was born in 1911. He was one of the, what we call the Cambridge Five. Uh, He was a very uh, intelligent and and, uh, well-educated and actually very rich young man who was at Eton and at Cambridge. And at Cambridge, he got involved with communist politics uh, and became friends with a man called Kim Philby. And through Kim Philby, he was recruited by the Russians to become a Russian spy in 1935. What are a couple of the most interesting stories about him you uncovered during your research? I found lots of fascinating stories about him doing my research, which covered about 30 years. One was the number of affairs he had with women. We always think of him as homosexual, uh, including one with the niece of Winston Churchill and the future wife of a British prime minister, a woman called Clarissa Churchill and also with a woman called Esther Whitfield, who was the mistress of Kim Philby. So that, I thought, was very interesting. I also discovered a completely new spy, someone who hadn't been at Cambridge, uh, but actually at the University of London, called Wilfred Mann, who was an atomic energy spy in the embassy in Washington with with Burgess in 1950. Uh, And I think the other thing that struck me about Burgess was his very wide hinterland of friends. So he knew actors like Michael Redgrave and Laurence Olivier, uh, ballet dancers like Frederick Ashton, writers like George Orwell and Maynard Keynes and E.M. Forster. And there's this extraordinary circle of people he knew. I mean, even when he fled to Moscow, people who came out to see him included Graham Greene and Stephen Spender. So he's a really fascinating man. Why did you decide to write a book focused solely on Guy? I decided to write about Guy because there hadn't been a book on a proper biography of Guy Burgess. There had been biographies of the other uh, Cambridge spies. Uh, I'd helped someone write, indeed, one of those books many years ago on Nancy Blunt and had lots of interviews that I'd done then in 1985. And I decided that uh, this was a gap that needed to be filled. And also because he was such an interesting man, uh, it seemed to me uh, a good opportunity to tell the story. And what I discovered that was that he wasn't really the minor figure that everyone had assumed, the joker in the pack, but actually, according to the Russians, the most important member of the spy ring. Uh, he was the one who kept them all together. And in fact, he was the one who provided the most damaging information. What were Burgess's most and least attractive characteristics? I don't think I've ever done a book where there was such polarised opinion about someone. Uh, There were people who were attracted to his intelligence, his charisma, his sense of fun, his wit, uh, and uh, his loyalty and friendship. And yet there were others who found him dirty and deceitful, uh, disloyal, cruel, uh, dominating, um, impetuous... So it's a really interesting subject for a biographer to do because he was so complex and paradoxical. 
Uh, and indeed, often, you know, in the same moment, he would do very contradictory things. How did Guy's personal relationships protect him from being found out? I think one of the reasons that he survived uh, not being found out was that he had a series of quite powerful protectors and mentors, people like Harold Nicholson, who was married to Vita Sackville-West. He had an MP who employed him in the Foreign Office called Hector McNeil. Uh, and all these people, even when uh, MI5 and the Foreign Office didn't actually want him to be posted to Washington, were able to persuade the powers to be that, that he should come. So I think that's, that's how he survived, really. And uh, through his charm, his um, uh, luck, uh, I mean, what was fascinating was at this time, homosexuality was illegal, and he was very open about his homosexuality, and yet he was never actually charged as friends like John Gielgud were. He just seemed to be very, very lucky. How was Guy eventually suspected of espionage, and what did he do? I think the irony of the whole situation is that Burgess was never suspected of espionage. It was only him fleeing with Donald McLean in 1951 that made people realise that he was part of the ring. So if he hadn't escorted McLean, he wouldn't have been discovered. He hadn't actually been identified in these um, codes that had been broken, the Venona codes that identified McLean. So he might well have just been disciplined. He would have left the Foreign Office. He would have got a job as a motoring correspondent for a newspaper, which is what he wanted to do. And he would have retired to the British countryside or gone and lived abroad. Uh, and we would probably never have heard of him. So I think that's one of the ironies. And of course, by him going, uh, he drew attention to Philby. And of course, Philby was investigated uh, and in fact sacked in 1951. So, and Philby never really forgave him for that. So it's a really interesting question why Burgess went, why he had to escort McLean, and why he had to go all the way. How is his story representative of other spies during the Cold War? In what ways is his story more unique or compelling? Well, I think he's, he's in some ways the most tragic comic uh, of the spies, uh, and the picture that's painted in, in Alan Bennett's An Englishman Abroad, uh, the, a play and a TV film, I think is very accurate. He was very lonely in Moscow. He found nothing to do there except to drink. He never really assimilated. He'd never learnt Russian. Uh, uh, and he didn't really have many friends apart from some visitors. So others were better. Donald McLean, uh, his family came and joined him. He learnt Russian. He had a proper job. Uh, he was a more serious figure. And even Philby, uh, I think, survived better. He came slightly later and he lasted a bit longer. But so Burgess is, is unique, I think, in, 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 in being the really tragic figure. But of course, he was like all the others. I mean, they were all recruited at the same time. They were all recruited by the same people, someone they knew as Otto, uh, all within the space of a year or so uh, in the mid-1930s. Uh, they knew each other. In fact, McLean and Burgess were lovers. Uh, Burgess and Blunt were lovers. Uh, they were all close friends. Blunt and Burgess shared a flat together during the war. So they were all interconnected. And I think that's why people are so fascinated by them, because not only were they very privileged, and it seems weird that they should turn on their backgrounds like this, but also that they, were, they all knew each other, and indeed a wider group of people, uh, as I t talked. I mean, the, the whole Bloomsbury set, uh, anyone who really was anyone in uh, mid-20th century Britain knew some of the Cambridge spies. So I think that's part of the fascination. And I think also the fact that so many of them have still not been discovered. We know the code names, 
chauffeur and poet and, and, and professor. And we know that people were recruited in the few weeks between Burgess and Maclean uh, because they were numbered, but we just don't know who they are. And of course, we know nothing about the Oxford side of the ring. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. How important was his childhood in shaping his attitudes to politics, loyalty, the establishment, etc.? I think uh, Burgess's childhood was very important in the making of The Spy, and you can trace various stages uh, where he begins to distance himself from authority and, and his, in a sense, his peer group. Uh, the first thing is that uh, all the Cambridge spies had absent fathers, uh, and the role of the absent father was taken by the Russian Secret Service. So Philby's father lived abroad, Blunt and Maclean's fathers died when they were young, and Burgess's father died when he was 13. In fact, Burgess tells the story of, of being woken by anguished cries from his parents' bedroom, running next door to find that his father has died in the course of making love to his mother, and the young boy has to separate the two bodies. So I think that was a pretty traumatic experience. I think it lent to a very close relationship with his mother uh, and reverence, really, for his dead father. He didn't get on with uh, his stepfather, who he called the colonel, and he used to try and bait and irritate as much as possible. Uh, he was spoiled as a child, I think, by his mother, who felt guilty. Uh, she was almost in love with her, her elder son, I mean, it's almost Oedipal, the letters between them. So that's one important moment. I think there are other moments. For example, he's very keen to be elected as a, as a prefect at school and he fails to be elected because he's not that popular at school uh, and there are better candidates. And he feels very, again, alienated. He, he has a phrase, if I can't belong, then I'll betray. And then I think there are other stages uh, in the... just where he begins to... Uh, I think his homosexuality was another point of distancing himself because it was illegal against the law. He felt he was criminalised because of his sexuality. And I think that led him to feel that he wasn't part of society and he, he didn't feel any allegiance to it. Did the British authorities let Burgess and Maclean escape? Well, it sounds like the British authorities let them escape because the conventional story is that the, they were only discovered two days after they fled. They fled on Friday the 25th of May, uh, and it's only on the Monday morning, the 28th, when they didn't come into work, that people uh, realised that they'd gone. But I have two bits of evidence, uh, which I put in the book, one from uh, an MI5 officer, like the FBI, who reported back uh, that they had gone on the Friday night. And there was a meeting, in fact, to discuss the interview for McLean on the following Monday. 
So that's one piece of evidence. And I also talked to a woman who worked for Winston Churchill as, as, as secretary. And she said that on the Saturday afternoon, she got a call from the Foreign Office, which she listened into and made notes on, which was for Churchill, saying that uh, Maclean had gone. But even then, the, the, the nothing was said publicly about the escape until the 7th of June when the story was leaked in the press from a tip-off from French police. So for several weeks, nothing was said, and I think very little was done to try and find them. And, of course, when the, the, the attempts were made to, to try and find them, it was far too late. They'd reached Moscow. So I think they were allowed to escape. People really didn't want a trial, didn't think they would be able to... Um, I think they thought too much would come up that was embarrassing. Uh, and I think it's true of the other spies. Philby uh, was actually caught, and uh, in 1963 he was interviewed by the Secret Service. Uh, and he was told that they would come back and arrest him the next day. And so, of course, he, he left. He wasn't being kept under surveillance, and he just fled. Other members of the spy ring, people like Anthony Blunt, were given immunity. So was John Cairncross. Uh, so no one actually went to prison for this. And there's been a cover-up ever since. Uh, that Most of the files have still not been released 70 years later. Attempts that I've tried through the Freedom of Information Act and other, um, through the Public Records Act, to have these historical documents put in the National Archives have failed. So one wonders that you know, there must be much more to the story than meets the eye. Why was he so effective as a spy? Well, the great surprise of this book was to discover that Burgess was the most important of the Cambridge spies. And I think the reason for that was that, according to the Russians, he provided the most material. He was the one who had the uh, most important jobs right across the board. And he also picked up a lot of gossip because he knew people, he chatted to them, they were open with him about operations and agents. Uh, indeed, he even blackmailed some people because he used to lend his flat to them for their um, uh, assignations with boyfriends or girlfriends. And I think he... Um, it's, it, it's really several things. One is that he was the first to get into British intelligence in 1937, of the group. He was the only one to serve in both MI5 and MI6. He had a very crucial role before the Second World War as a courier, which helped uh, shape the attitudes of the Russians to, to sign a Nazi-Soviet pact in 1939. He was an agent of influence when he worked in the Far East Department, helping shape British recognition of Red China. at a time when America did not. Uh, he was very influential with the people he was able to bring into the BBC and broadcast. He was helpful to the, to the Russians when he was in Russia, working for the Russian Foreign Ministry and advising on British politics and politicians. And he had this extraordinary job as a private secretary to the number two in the Foreign Office at a crucial moment in British history at the end of the war when the UN was being created, um, NATO, the four-power conferences, the future of Russia, sorry, Germany and Poland. So uh, he was very, very effective uh, and that wasn't just from the Russians. I discovered talking to some of the British intelligence people, that was their view as well. What are the challenges of writing about the secret world? Well, writing intelligence history is very difficult because you rely on documents and you rely on interviews, and neither of them are very easy to obtain. Uh, you can't talk to intelligence officials because they are not allowed to talk to you. It's against the Official Secrets Act. These people are often taught to lie. They're very unlikely to give you the truth. The Russians, I think, at times were giving me disinformation, just playing with me. So you have to be able to corroborate that. 
clearly, uh, in a case like this, it's 70 years old. Most people are dead. There are only about a dozen still alive. Though I did manage to talk to about 100 because I began this book 30 years ago. And the other problem is the, the lack of documentation. I got more documents out of the Russian archives, ironically, than I did from the British and American archives. There's some material in private archives, and that's where, how I discovered the spy Wilfred Mann. Uh, and clearly there are, pri there are letters and diaries that are kept. Uh, but generally, the British and Americans do not release intelligence documents. So it's very hard to get the true picture of what happened. Thank you, Andrew, for being on the show. You can check out Stalin's Englishman at any book retailer. And if you're enjoying Unknown History, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps us provide you with great content free of charge. For more information about the books my stories are based off, visit quickanddirtytips.com forward slash Giles. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.